Hello, everyone, and welcome to Overtime. Uh, this is episode 26. Gosh, that's like half wow. the year of episodes. Um, it seems like time is flying by, but we're in episode 26 of uh, Overtime Online, which all of them are online. Um, my name is Christian, and we have Gary here today with us, and he uh, got to speak. Hey, everybody. Yeah, he, Gary got to speak about John 20th last weekend, and we're going to dive uh, deep into that today during this episode. Um, but before we do, just wanted to kind of mention a couple of announcements. As you guys can tell, we are both in our homes. Uh, we're doing this over Zoom, uh, and we're just live streaming our Zoom page uh, for you guys to see. Um, so we're in our homes right now. Uh, if we experience a Wi-Fi issues, which is a very real possibility, um, we'll pause and kind of recoup. But we're just having some fun with this. My dog is actually standing right here crying, so you might hear a dog whimpering in the background. Um <laughs> But a couple of announcements. Um, as you guys know, uh, everything's online for the church. So we invite you, if you haven't already, go like us on Facebook at CLC Family. Uh, and then also you can visit our website, www.clcfamily.church, to kind of learn more about how we are doing church in the middle of this pandemic. Um, our services are at the normal times online at 5 p.m. on Saturdays, and then at 9 o'clock and 1045 on Sundays on Facebook and our church website. You can watch these live by going to clcfamily.church slash live um and then if you have any questions or prayer requests or anything that you might need please do let us know as a church we want to come alongside you and serve uh, in any way that we can and we're still trying to figure out kind of what that means like you know gary and i and our staff spend great amounts of time in our staff meetings trying to figure out how can we serve our community right now um but if yeah. you do if you are aware of any needs or anything please do let us know you can email the church at info at clcfamily.church and then lastly, we know that this last week you guys got some pretty difficult news with um, schools closing for the remainder of the year. Uh, we just want to let you know that we are mourning with you. This is a really difficult um, difficult season, and for this to happen is also really difficult. So please know that we're mourning with you. We're trying to figure out how we can serve you guys in this time. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we're going to make it through this. Uh, hopefully we're making our way through this, and hopefully we're getting closer to an end. But um but we do appreciate you guys uh, just being flexible in the season two as well. So anyway, with all that, we're so excited uh, that you're tuning in uh, with us wherever you are at for episode 26 of Overtime. Uh, and today, as I mentioned earlier, we're reflecting on uh, kind of Gary's going to invite us uh, to come a bit more deeply into uh, what he shared with us on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, this profound moment in the history of the church um, where God beats death and he does it by dying, which is crazy, right? But then also by coming back to life. So Gary, um, you spoke this past weekend on John 20, um, which talked about these, this kind of, and I'm not going to steal the thunder. In fact, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind, uh, kind of giving us a brief summary or overview of the kind of content of the message? And then what we'll do is we'll just kind of jump a little more deeply into that. I'd be glad to. So, you know, it's an interesting story because basically what you have is, um, this sort of wild ride where the disciples begin to show up. Actually, Mary shows up, first of all, at the empty tomb, notices that the, or excuse me, at the tomb, and notices that the, the stone's been moved. And this starts a sort of wild ride of her running back to get Peter and John, them running with her back out, um, all these different things happening, which then culminates in her actually meeting Jesus face to face, which is really you know, for her, that sort of really defining moment when she's like, okay, this really did happen. And um, and then from there, she's sent out to the brothers, 
the other disciples all that's happened. And so she becomes um, the one who is sent by, by Christ himself to go now and spread the word that he is no longer in the tomb, but he has risen. So, so that's sort of a synopsis of what happened. And then we'll get into more of it as we go along. So, yeah. So um, it's interesting because we see uh, through Jesus' ministry, he, he's pretty um, open about his plan here to die and then come back to life. Uh, even right. to his his kind of uh, those who oppose Jesus, who who are against him, this metaphor that he uses, destroying the temple and building it back up in three days, this metaphor that he will die but then come back in three days. So, um, can you say more too about maybe why it is that Mary responded in the way that she responded? Because here we have this moment where she's kind of um, uh, inquiring, like, where did they take his body? And so um, yeah. she's. I don't know, and we see the disciples doing this too, where they don't instantly know that oh, Jesus is resurrected. Like this is this is what's happened, but instead they think like oh, he's still dead, but someone's misplaced his body. Um, I don't know. Exactly. Do you have any thoughts that you might add to that that would help us understand that? Like, were they doubting? Were they just not? Did they not understand what Jesus was doing even in that moment? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, the commentators often say that um, you know they uh, they had these promises of Jesus, you know, resurrecting. I mean, like when he does use that whole metaphor of, you know, if you destroy this temple, you know, it'll be, it'll be restored in three days. And so you have this sort of interesting um, parable kind of language that uses where he's hitting at a greater reality in the midst of what they're experiencing. But I think in defense of the disciples, you have to sort of realize that they're not used to people being raised from the dead. In fact, actually, um, the uh, the Pharisees, there are one of the groups, I think, I can't remember if it was Pharisees or Sadducees, one of them actually did believe in resurrection, but they okay. believed that at the end of the time, everybody would be resurrected. So okay. not everybody held this common view of resurrection. And so um, when Jesus is talking about this stuff and using this sort of, um, you know, embedded language with them, yeah. they're not always sure what's going on. So I think okay. that what, what I see happening in this passage is that John is moving the readers. And again, you got to remember that this is John's gospel. So yeah. he's the, the beloved disciple. He calls himself. He is moving his readers from seeing what happens into a point where they now have start to believe what has okay. happened. So, so that's what he wants. He wants to challenge us um, rationally to yeah. actually consider the evidence of the resurrection and then actually grab a hold of that ourselves and make that part of of who we are, that we're also now called to live into a kind of resurrection life because of what Christ has done. Okay. Um, I want to speak to that point that you brought up uh, just a second ago of like John's trying to trying to share the evidence of what has happened so that not, not so that his uh, readers would necessarily just understand, but that they would believe this resurrection, right? Um, but before I, I get to that, I wanted to kind of ask a, a side question, which I think is kind of comical. Um, we see John kind of refer to himself as uh, the the disciple that Jesus, whom Jesus loves, or the beloved disciple. Yeah. I feel like that's like if if a uh, you know if a child was writing a letter and they're like you know I'm mom's favorite or I'm dad's favorite. Like, do you? I don't know the. I'm still trying to figure out necessarily the context behind that. Do you know uh, what it is that prompted this author to um, refer to themselves in such a way? <laughs> I just think it's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that part of what he is um, doing is he's doing a little bit like what Mary Magdalene is doing because okay. Mary Magdalene actually 
goes to the tomb, and part of the reason she goes is because she's internalized this idea that um, that she wants to be with Jesus. Okay. Even if she believes he's dead, she yeah. wants to be there. And so this is actually John 15 talks about abiding, yeah. making our home with. Yeah. And I think that that's part of what's happening with John. John is actually now internalized the fact that Great. Jesus does love him. So Great. he refers to himself. And I don't know, it's a little bit third person, right? You know, he's yeah. like uh, the disciple that Jesus loved, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and, but what he's talking about is there is this relationship he has with Christ and that that's how he wants to be defined. He doesn't right. often see, he never says, I mean, until maybe the very end of the book that, yeah. you know, I am the author of this book. Yeah. He, he always refers to himself third person in that way. So it yeah. is sort of an odd way of doing it. I just thought it was kind of fascinating. Like, I didn't know if the other disciples read this at one point. We're like, what the heck? Like, you know, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Um, anyway. It's I like, just, wait, 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 wait. He, yeah. he loved us all. Let's yeah. Get yeah. Out of there. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was kind of interesting and peculiar because yeah. I think he's the only writer that we see do that uh, in the context yeah. of the New Testament. So. Um, awesome. That's true. Well, going That's back true. to uh, kind of my pre our previous comment about evidence. So you're you're kind of noting that John's writing this um, so that his readers would again not understand the story uh, necessarily, not merely understanding the story, but um, coming to believe in the validity of the story. And we see John kind of include some details that maybe other writers wouldn't have included for maybe the purpose of um, you know showing evidence. Uh, and so we yeah. were talking earlier about um, here uh, we have Mary and them going back to the tomb and John spends some time just noting like what what it appears like. It's so it's, it's empty. That's a big component. Um, but but the, all the linen wrappings are there. And so I wouldn't suspect that if someone's stealing a body, which maybe Mary supposes, I wouldn't suspect that they'd unravel the body uh, and leave all the wrappings there. Um, but here we have the right. details of the wrappings there and the head cloth. Can you um, can you speak more to maybe that moment, why that's significant, um, and how that could hopefully convince the first century audience to believe in the resurrection of Christ? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's interesting that you know what happens is Peter and John have this foot race to get to the tomb, yeah. and they, <laughs> uh, you know, and and of course John wins, which I think is also that's another interesting part. John's yeah. like very clear to say he outran Peter. He yeah. got there first, which is a comical <laughs> For people piece to know as well. Yeah. yeah. It's like, if you want to know who's faster, it's me, John, you know? And um, <laughs> so, so they end up getting there together. And I think that part of it is that, you know, in, in their thought, did they ever even think about, well, maybe he's actually been raised from the dead. I mean, like, they're very worried because the, the stone's been moved away. And again, this stone is a big old stone. It's not like a little rock. It's it's something that is going to take several people to move. Yeah. And, you know, here it's gone. The tomb is open. You know, what does that mean? And so one of the things I, I liked um, that I was reading and sort of part of the sermon was that, you know, we sort of think about um, – you know, that ordinarily people don't rise from the dead. Like we don't, you know, we don't see yeah. that as a normal thing. Yeah. But then again, you know, one commentator said, but with Jesus, there's no such thing as ordinary. And I, I think yeah, that's a really great thing to think about, you know? Yeah. And so, so what happens is John gets here to the tomb and he takes a look inside, but then Peter comes up behind him, rushes right in. And this is sort of, pure Peter. He's always going to go in, going to do what he wants to do, yeah. sort of get out of my way kind of thing. And, um, 
But what happens is John is actually the first disciple who has not seen Jesus resurrected yet, but mm -hmm. he believes. Yeah, and okay. so he looks at the evidence of what he sees in the tomb, and he decides himself that Jesus is actually raised from the dead. Okay. Now, one of the things I think that's interesting about that is that, um, and if you watched the Kid Zone video, you <laughs> saw that what happened was in that Kid Zone video, the um, the religious leaders actually began an alternate um, theory to the resurrection. What okay. they did was they paid to have some people lie uh, and yeah. say that his body had been stolen. Okay. So yeah. when you get into sort of the classic, you know, the classic, um, you know, views of the resurrection, one of the things that oftentimes people said was, well, we don't believe that that really happened. You know, it, it actually, um, they did steal the body, they hid it somewhere, um, you know, but the question then becomes, you know, well, if that was true, why didn't they haul the body back out and say, hey, look, here he is, you know, kind of yeah. thing. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like that, That's that I think is true as well. And so, so what John says is that he notices that the stones removed, he notices that the tomb is empty. He sees the linen wrappings that are there, mm -hmm. which again is linen would have been what the body was wrapped in, okay. but then there's a folded and separate head cloth, which is laying there as well. And yeah. um, he sort of added all that up together. And then he said, hey, I believe that he really rose from the dead. And yeah. so that begins then John's ability to say, hey, you know, I think this is factual. God, you know, Christ actually did rise from the dead. Um, and even though John never sees him, Mary Magdalene will see him in a little yeah. while. John yeah. never sees him resurrected at that point. He'll see him later. Yeah. In fact, Peter, you know, one of the great parts of the story is that Peter, who actually, you know, has totally denied Christ over the weekend. Yeah. Um, he's now invited back in later by Jesus, you know, and said yeah. and and told by Jesus, hey, you know, I am glad you're here. You are important to me. You know, I forgive you. I mean, there's all this kind of stuff that happens with them. So, yeah. so John believes. And, um, and then I, I think one of the funny things is that verse 10 just says, and so they returned home. Yeah. And it's like, I was going to comment so, about that. Okay. Well, he's gone. We don't know where he is, but we're going home. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> Wouldn't you suspect? Cause I thought that was so interesting, even when you mentioned it over the weekend and I actually had it in my notes to comment about that. Like, I mean, what else is there anything else he could have done in that moment like i feel like would they search for the body if jesus was alive like wouldn't they go you know i but i guess you know where would you search to you know i don't know do you think that was maybe yeah. uh how would you have responded if that and maybe it's hard to tell but is that is is that a weird response on behalf of the disciples or maybe was that the most appropriate response I, I don't know that's a good question i think that um it is in a way a weird response because it seems like there would have been an unsettledness of not really yeah. knowing where Jesus was. Yeah. And, and I think part of, you know, part of what Mary actually does hint at, at the, um, at the tomb. And this is interesting too, because I think, so there were grave robbers back then. Yes. Yeah, and true. actually, um, you know, a tomb could be violated and um, what they would do is they would go in and they would get all of the different things that were used as spices and stuff. And that stuff actually carried some monetary value to yeah. it. So um, so it was not uncommon for a, a tomb to be robbed and okay. for um, you know the body to be desecrated in that way. And Mary, Mary seems to hint at, you know, where is he? I mean, 
even if he's dead, it's not right that he should be missing. Like, yeah. you know, have you taken his body someplace? And this I isn't see. this isn't a good thing. He should be here laying in this tomb. And yeah. so even though she's not convinced yet that he's risen from the dead, she's saying, hey, don't mess around with this. Like, this yeah. is pretty serious stuff. Yeah, because it was a loved one, right? And the idea of someone violating uh, a resting place in that capacity is pretty shameful perhaps um that's right absolutely good point yeah Um, and tough you know yeah um so let me see um so kind of moving on we find that uh (laughs) it's so interesting in this story and um we'll we'll be getting to this even this weekend as we talk about jesus revealing himself once again to the disciples but we see this common theme where um jesus is present resurrected in resurrected form he's alive when he was dead and he's uh, appearing to them, but in almost all of the cases, they don't recognize him. Uh, I mean, yeah. and I don't know yeah. if they were anticipating on seeing some glorious heavenly figure, um, or, you know, I don't know if they anticipated seeing him just, you know, meandering around, walking around in the way that he did. Um, so uh, is there kind of, I don't know, is there anything that we can... Um, even learn about ourselves and how we, you know, our expectations of how we anticipate to see God uh, and how maybe God does reveal himself. Because, you know, when Jesus entered the world as a baby, people weren't expecting God to come in that way. They weren't expecting God to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. And here they maybe weren't expecting God to uh, reappear in this fashion. So do you, I don't know, do you have any comments or thoughts about maybe our expectation as people who want to love and follow Jesus and, then how God does kind of work. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I, I, it seems to me like that actually calls into question our worldview also. Yeah, like okay. I think, and um, which again is a really important thing I think for us as Christians to think about is what, uh, how do we view the world? What lens do we use as we're looking at the world and understanding right. God's involvement in the world? And so, um, so the resurrection of Christ actually um, calls everything else into question in a yeah. way where now you begin to see that God actually is active and moving and doing things. And and I think that this is actually good news for us because yeah. the reality is that that means that even, and this is what I got to at the end of the sermon is like, even if you're feeling like, hey, my life is really dead, like there's all these parts of my life that I just feel like they need to be resuscitated. They need to be resurrected. Yeah. You know, they're there are just these places where I feel stuck or yeah. I feel like I can't do anything or I don't have the power. And it's like, actually, that kind of stuff puts us in a place to be more open to God. Yeah, and um, and it puts us in a place where we start to rely on a power or we need a power that's greater than ourselves. Yeah, like, that's good. you know, we, we can't do it. And I, I think that's true. And I, I see this um, as we um, talk with people in Celebrate Recovery and different yeah. places where people feel stuck that... Yeah. You know, one of the things that you learn in sober recovery is you learn that you're powerless, and yeah. which sounds funny, but the problem is we've always thought we were powerful, so we yeah. tried to do everything ourselves. That's and true. Once we actually relinquish power, then God comes in and does for us what we couldn't do. So yeah. I think this is the message of resurrection: is yeah. that you know God comes in with a power that's greater than us and can accomplish what we could never do ourselves, and we become the benefactors of that as God's involved with us. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I really appreciate that point because I feel like um, if in our relinquishing our power and giving it to God, God could uh, accomplish easily what we could never accomplish in 
hundreds and thousands of years. Um, and so, uh, that's correct. Yeah. But that's a hard thing to do is to give up control, especially in seasons like a pandemic where all I want yeah. is some semblance yeah. of control, like some idea that I actually have any authority or power of what's happening in my life right now. Um, so that's yeah. a, a kind of a profound yeah. thing to identify even in the midst of this. So thanks for, um, thanks for kind of mentioning that. Um, sure. Sure. And so we see this moment where, uh, Jesus reveals himself in a way that's maybe, uh, unanticipated um to to the disciples and to mary um and she thinks she she thinks he's a gardener which um i'd be interested in your thoughts on this i didn't mention this question before recording of this but um i've heard some instances where uh i don't know if you found this in your studies but this whole theme of a gardener um some people thinks it makes reference to this idea that um uh, this idea of eden where uh, God created a garden that was perfect and it was for us. And so this image of, you know, Christ being a gardener um, through the perception of Mary, it was kind of uh, interesting and unique. I don't know. Did you read anything about that in maybe your studies or was there anything significant about her thinking he's a gardener above anything else? Yeah, I think that, I think you're right. I think that most commentators would say that when they recognize Jesus thinking he's a gardener, that they're actually referring back to the original creation, that there was this created garden where the people dwelt, and that's where everything that was good, you know, was located. Yeah. And um, and I think, too, you know, that if you think about, um, about John himself, he's talking about um, bearing fruit. He's talking about that's abiding. True. And so yeah. you have John 15, and that's he's true. talking about, how God is going to produce fruit in our lives. And it comes by being connected to the vine as opposed to just doing whatever you want. And yeah. so um, for John, that's a real sense of that he's being, um, he's being connected. And this again goes back to that original part about, yeah. you know, that the greatest value Jesus sees and wants to see in his disciples is this idea of making your home with God, that yeah. you're invited now to, actually make your home to abide with yeah. God and have God um, lead you in that. So, so yeah, I think, um, you know, it's interesting. I think um, part of Mary's struggle is, you know, here's this, you know, this whole thing happening. And I, mm -hmm. the one of the commentators I read uh, had talked about, you know, it's early morning, it's dark, it's the beginning of the week. She's yeah. there by herself. She's yeah. already been crying all day. She's got, you know, a swollen heart and swollen eyes. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's just hard to see, um, you know, that somehow God is in the midst of that. Yeah. And so, um, so she mistakes who he is, which again, you know, in her defense, um, we don't usually see people, you know, resurrected standing in front of That's us. True. And so, uh, so it takes that moment of, of, of him actually speaking to her and then she gets it. Yeah, so turn it, let's turn to that moment. Um, so here, uh, we kind of have, I don't know if she's uh, doing it in an, in an accusatory manner or what, but she's like, hey, like, where did, did you take his body? If I'm remembering it correctly, did you take his body? Did you hide it? If so, just like, give it to me. I'll, I'd be glad to take care of it. Um, not yeah. realizing that she's talking to that very body in a different form, in resurrected form, right? And so, uh, right. but the flip of the switch is this moment when, Jesus identifies her as, as Mary. And so um, yeah, we kind of yeah. see strong themes with names in the Bible, um, uh, with Jesus, you know, calling people by name, but also renaming people. 
Um, can you speak more yeah. to maybe this moment and why it bears great significance? Uh, yeah. Would you mind speaking to that? Yeah. So one of the things that, um, that John has also written about in John chapter 10 is he's talked about how the shepherd knows the name of the sheep. Yeah. Okay. And so there's this interesting moment where actually in the Greek, um, Jesus says, Miriam, and that's actually her, you know, her, I guess, anglicized name would be Mary, but it's actually okay. Miriam. Okay. And at that moment, and it's about six different syllables, but at that moment, she turns and says Rabboni, which is also six syllables. So oh, wow. you have John sort of playing with the language here. And what he's saying is, you know, she recognizes his voice, but she also recognizes who he is, yeah. that she is, he is the teacher that she has followed. Yeah. And so, you know, it's the Miriam and then Rabboni. Yeah. Um, and so then all of a sudden, everything dawns on her. Like in that split second, and, and I like the the um, sort of idea that she turns to look at him. And and in that moment, everything in the, her world changes. I mean, yeah. it, it's a dramatic, drastic change where she's gone from thinking that everything is done. Jesus is dead. Yeah. There's no hope anywhere to realizing, yeah. no, he's resurrected. He's alive and hope is alive and well. Yeah. And I can live into that. Yeah. Um. And so I can imagine those were pretty like her tears of, of mourning turned to tears of joy. Um, and I love exactly. What you, I love what you say is like um, we ha we have hope now. Right. And so um, let's shift gears for a quick brief moment and then we'll kind of return back to that to finish that. But um, uh, so there is a flip of a switch in that um, everything is lost. Everything's broken. And now we have this moment of hope where it changes um it changes what we can anticipate and look forward to. And so would you mind yeah. speaking to the impact of this moment of resurrection for ourselves today, the 21st century Christians who are trying to figure this out, who maybe some of us are very fearful and not hopeful in the middle of a pandemic like this. And so um, right. if, if that were us in Mary's shoes and um, we have a flip of a switch, what would our hope look like? I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> It does make sense. So I think that um, it's very easy to lose hope. In fact, I was reading something the other day that said that um, a person can go for like 40 days without food. They can go for three days without water, but they can only last 15 seconds without hope. Hmm. So hope is like really, really important for us as yeah. people. So what happens in this moment is that they go from thinking everything is over, like Jesus is in the tomb. I mean, the last time that Mary saw him, he was hanging on the cross, dying. Yes. And now all of a sudden she's back at the tomb and now he's gone and she's not sure what's going on. So <laughs> this is despair yeah. to the umpteenth degree. Yeah. And um, But here what happens is all of a sudden now Jesus is with them. And Jesus um, is not only promising that Jesus is resurrected, but he's now calling them into living a kind of resurrected life, okay. which I think is really huge. So, so what, you know, one of the things I was dealing with in the sermon was, you know, Jesus came to give us life and give it in abundance. So part of living a res re resurrected life is to say, so what do I do with this day that God's given me? Yeah, like if God has actually given me this day and this life, what do I do with that? How do I live that out? And so, so one of the things, and this is something 
We haven't talked as much about it church necessarily, but it's something that is happening behind the scenes of this. Yeah. And, and N.T. Wright and other scholars would point this out, is that God's actually now moving into a point of bringing about the new creation. So this relates back to that garden scene and the gardener. So in the first part of the creation, you know, we had the beginning of everything, the good creation that God had made. Yeah. Then we get to Genesis 3 and there's the fall and everything goes, you know, goes in a way that it's not meant to go. Yeah. But here now, in the midst of the resurrection, Christ is saying, this is now the launching of the new creation. This is where God is going to go back and make right everything that's gone wrong in the yeah. world and invite people into a whole new way of being. And that new way of being is actually living out a resurrected life, yeah. living as if right now, and this is, you know, for those of us that become Christian, that actually put our faith in Christ, what we do is we step into a, an eternal kind of life yeah. where now we are walking with God. And, um, and yes, there will come a day that we die, but the reality is that our life continues um, into eternity with God. And yeah. so, so God calls us into this and we begin to live out this resurrected life even now um, by participating in the things that are life-giving that God's yeah. called us to do. Yeah. And, um, and so I, um, Eugene Peterson, I told you this a little while ago that yeah. Eugene Peterson talks about the resurrection parade. And I always like that idea, but it's like, it's joining into this um, group of people that are actually living out a resurrected life right now. Yeah. And then inviting other people, inviting all people to come, and experience that um, as part of God's love and care for their lives as well. That's awesome. Um, and we see that even in this moment, Mary, uh, her her initial reactions to do that. Like she, so um, kind of the next point that I wanted to highlight is in verse 17, it says, you know, uh, she, or I guess verse 18, it talks about her bearing witness to what she just encountered, um, um, yeah. which is another like, I don't know if John's trying to be like a great lawyer here to, to prove a point, but like, you know, a case is much stronger with witnesses. And so here yes. in verse 18, yes. she is bearing witness to what she just encountered. Um, can you, uh, let me see. Um, so is, uh, I guess, what does that look like for us to bear witness to this story today in our own context, yeah. similar to what Mary did when she kind of responded to the resurrection of Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me just go back for one second and yeah. say that um, one of the interesting things about it was that in that um, male-dominant culture, um, mm. it would uh, a witness would not be, uh, like a female witness would actually yeah. not be allowed in a court of law. Yeah. So what's interesting about the, the, the early church's newfound faith in the resurrection is that they actually are saying, hey, we heard this from the women and we believe that it happened. And that, that actually points to some of the factuality that what happened really did happen, uh, okay. which is interesting because, again, if you really wanted to make a defense for the gospel or yeah. for the resurrection, what you would do is you go out and find a bunch of men that were all willing to say, hey, yeah, this really happened. And then yeah. everybody go, oh, okay, it really happened. But yeah. the fact that they actually have Mary as the first, um, you know, first witness to the resurrection yeah shows how much they really believe this happened, but it also shows um, the early church's um, sense of value for women, which I think is really good. So, yeah. so this is a really interesting point in it. And so Mary becomes the first spokesperson. She is then sent by Jesus yeah. 
to go and tell the brothers. And so, you know, whereas you were, you know, this is what you're alluding to, too, whereas she was sneaking out to the tomb, then she's running to go find John and Peter, yeah. and then she comes back. Well, now she's running to say, I have seen the risen Lord face to face, and yeah. he is alive, and he is well, and he is now inviting you to meet him in Galilee. Yeah. And so there, there's this interesting change that happens that's really, really powerful yeah. with what's going on here. And so um, what could we uh, even learn from that instance? Because I feel like um, I feel like for Mary, she didn't have to think about, oh, like, should I? Is this like what I'm supposed to do? Should I do this? But it was more of like a natural inclination in response to what she just encountered that she couldn't keep it bottled up, that she couldn't uh, she couldn't not tell people about it. And so. Yeah, um, yeah. should we be similar in our response? Like how, I, I mean, how, yeah. how ought we go about this? Because if we believe it to be true and we believe it to bear weight on not only our earthly existence, but eternity. Um, and if we yeah, have yeah. this hope, uh, you know, why not share it? And so I, I don't know, can you characterize maybe, um, how we ought to, to respond to something like this? I mean, it's good news and we want to share it. So yeah. what would that look for, yeah. like for us? Well, I think, I think that, um, I think that sometimes we struggle uh, because one of the things that's odd about Christianity is the uh, view of resurrection. Yeah. And so I think what happens sometimes is that we, we think, oh, wow, how in the world do I explain that? And so, you know, you have classic apologists like Josh McDowell and other people that would bring all kinds of evidence for why the resurrection really did happen. And yeah. I think, all those kinds of things are really important for us to get. I think at the same time, part of what this we're being challenged to do is actually to believe it ourselves, to actually believe it. And, and the beauty of the resurrection is that it literally says that anything is possible with God. Like, yeah. so when I begin to believe into that and realize that, um, that God overcame the worst enemy there ever was, which is death. Yeah. Then I start to realize that that everything is possible for God. God yeah. can do anything, yeah. which again I think brings us back to that really important point. Like you know, there's times in our lives where we feel like, you know, maybe God's lost touch with us, or mm. maybe God's not really as available to us as we realize. Yeah. But when you ask people like, when did you really grow as a Christian? You know, when did you come to realize that God really was with you? A lot of times it's right in the midst of that really tough time. Where, where all of a sudden they're thinking, I'm not sure what God's doing. And yeah. then they start to realize, and, and part of this is living with it, being in the midst of it, coming out of it, right? Yeah. So what happens is as you go through that process of being with God, then you almost start, start to realize that God was actually here doing things that I never realized before. And, and your faith grows, your sense of God's presence grows. Yeah your faith in the resurrection, everything grows in that sense. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's good. And I appreciate you kind of highlighting um, how it is kind of hard to comprehend sometimes. But when we come to this moment, when we realize the weight of it and the depth of it, like uh, it's kind of a bit natural in us to respond accordingly. So, um, yeah, you know, good. one thing, one thing is that, um, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in this, but I was going to say, the places I've always found where people believe in the resurrection the most um, is when you're in the funeral home, you know, yeah. standing by somebody's casket. Yeah. 
I think again that this is this is the hope of the Christian faith that um, that even though we die, yet we will live. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so I think that's a really important thing for us to to realize. And so, in this moment, Jesus undoes the worst enemy there is, which is yeah. death, and yeah. brings about life in the midst of that. And the promise of that is that to all who believe, that resurrection will become true for yeah. them as well. And yeah. so, that's I think really important for us. And I, you know, sort of skipping to the end in a sense, but. Um, one of the John says at the very end of his gospel is he says, um, you know, blessed are those who have not seen yeah. and yet believe. And so, again, John is trying to move us from seeing to believing. And yeah. so he says, hey, even if you haven't seen, and this is after Thomas has touched the nails yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. He says, yeah, you know what? There's a whole other group that has never seen Jesus resurrected, yep. but they are blessed because they believe in the resurrection as yeah. well. Yeah. He makes a really good, uh, John makes a really good case. If I, were, if I needed a lawyer today, I'd want to call upon John. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, well, I don't. And I think, yeah. And I think he's building his gospel that way. Yeah. You know, he's building his gospel in a way that he's able to say, in fact, at the end of it, he says, you know, if I had written everything that Jesus did, it would have taken more volumes than we can do. And, you know, yeah. he, but he says, I have written these things so that you would believe that Jesus yeah. is the son of God. That's, yeah. that's what he's doing with this gospel. It's an apologetic yeah. to say, Hey, this Jesus who came and lived was real and true. He did die. He did pay for our sins, but he resurrected from the dead and he invites all of us now yeah. to have life with him. Yeah. So thankful that he did kind of document this instance because I'm sure uh, it helps. It adds to the picture of the gospel story and how it is that God's working, which um, I think is super beneficial. So, um, yeah, that's right. I guess the last thought or last question that I have is, um, you know, uh, as a result of this profound, um, profound event, and and I know, I know you probably spoke you spoke to this a little bit a couple of moments ago, but as a result of this profound event, um, it's happened. We are here. Um, what now? Like, and you spoke to kind of our living in the resurrection. Um, do you want to, is there anything you'd like to add to that in, in terms of um, what does it look like to live in the resurrection? And especially, I know you're probably familiar with the phrase um, uh, already, but not yet. We're kind of already living in times of resurrection in the wake of what yeah. Christ has done. But, you know, yeah. we have to wait too. We're not, it's not, the culmination of the work is not yet done. So, um, do you want to wrap up maybe yeah. by speaking a little more to, you know, what does our day to day look like? How does it, what does it mean to be a people living in resurrection today and tomorrow, um, in kind of our normal routines of life? Yeah. So being in this pastor, you've heard of the candy now and later, right? Have you heard of that? The, what is that? The candy? Yeah. It's called now and later. It's like a kind of taffy, you know? Uh, and, um, I actually don't know if I've heard of them before. <laughs> so it may be some old one at this point. I don't know. I've been around a lot of years. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I used to always love that because the idea behind the, the now and later was that you're eating it now, but the reality is it's going to last a long time. Yeah. And I, I think that that's part of the reality of the Christian faith is that we are living in the now where God is present with us every moment, yeah. but God has also promised to be present with us later, all yeah. the way through life. Yeah. And so, um, so that's the good news of the gospel is that God has made God's self 
plain and visible to us in the moment, but God is also inviting us and will walk with us into the future in ways that are life-giving. So when I was thinking about and talking a little bit about this whole idea of the new creation, I think that part of what God is doing is actually taking everything that there is and inviting us into a new way of life. So so when we actually um, feed somebody who needs uh, we feed somebody who needs food, we're actually practicing new creation. Yeah, when we funny. reach out to somebody who needs to have a place to live, you know, like like with this foster care thing that everybody's doing in our church right now, inviting kids into yeah. their homes that are not their own kids, but they're there because they love them. That's actually part of what the new creation looks like as it's breaking into this world. And, and then um, as we're um, serving each other, we're actually practicing resurrection and new creation in that way as well so so all of these things that we're doing are ways of saying christ has entered this world he's died for our sins but he has risen again and he's calling all of us into a new way of living yeah and so when we're doing that we are practicing this new creation and bring us all to be a part of so i think that's part of it that's that's the resurrection parade that's that's living um for this call of God on my life where I'm understanding God's grace and love and forgiveness, but also understanding that God is doing a new thing in me and through me as well. Yeah. I mean, what better time? Not that this is, uh, this is not a great season for the country, for the world, really. Um, right. But what, you know, what better time to have hope? Like what, um, you know, it's, it's great to have this kind of this story of hope, but this reality of hope in this season too, um, that does That's present... Right ample opportunity for the church to then lean into this life of resurrection through serving their neighbor, um, through loving the downtrodden and the sick and the widow and all, and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting that Easter's falling in the middle of this season. Um, cause you know, what better time to kind of live out this resurrection story than right now, you know? Um, well, that's great. That's good. Um, that's all I have. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to add to wrap it up? You feeling good? No, I think I think I'm good too. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, appreciate you. Hey guys, we uh, we appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for tuning in uh, once again. Overtime's just the time that we get to just dive a bit more deeply into uh, the sermon. So um, super thankful for Gary and his leadership and his uh, leading us this past Easter weekend and just kind of sharing his heart even a little bit more right now. Um, we'll be finishing this series this weekend as we talk a bit more about how do we live into the resurrection. How do we lean into that? Um, So we invite you to join us for church this weekend, Saturday at 5 o'clock or on Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045. Um, Once again, if we could serve you in any way, please do let us know. You can email us at info at clcfamily.church and we'd be glad to kind of connect with you. And if you're needing community, even if if it's just like a Zoom call or wanting to chat with staff, we're doing that as well. So email us at that email I just mentioned and we'd be glad to orchestrate or organize uh, something to speak to that need. Um, but I think that's it. Thanks again for tuning in for overtime. We'll see you guys this weekend and next week, uh, I guess next week when we're at overtime episode 27. So, woo. (laughs) All right, y'all take care. All right. See you guys.